So you were in it after all All of those moments I spent crying When something inside of me was dying I didn't know that you heard me each time I called There was a reason for those trials It seems I grew stronger every mile Now I know that you were in it after all We're always ready, Lord, to take the glory But seldom willing to Wasn't that a beautiful song that Ginny sang? Fantastic. You know, the Lord wants to be involved in every aspect of our life. He doesn't want us to say, okay, you're Lord of this part of my life or that part of my life. He wants to be involved and Lord and King over every area of our lives. And he loves us that much. 
Let's just look to the Lord in a word of prayer this morning. Father, we just thank you for this beautiful song that Ginny sang. Lord, there are days that are full of sunshine and warm weather, and we love those days, but there are also days of storms and rain, and, and Lord, that's true in the spiritual life as well. And Lord, we go through trials and difficulties, but we thank you that you're with us. We are so encouraged and so blessed to have your word and your Holy Spirit and the fellowship with the saints. We just pray you'll be with each one who's not with us today, that you'll speak to their hearts through the word. Some are watching over the computer this morning. May you bless them with the word also. And just hide me, Lord, behind the cross, that your word would go forth and touch every life here in a particular way today. And as Rick prayed, that we'll take something home with us to meditate upon for the, for the day and for the week. We just commit ourselves now to you and thank you for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a question for you this morning. And the question is also the title of the message. Who rules your life? Who rules your life? There was a TV show, Who's the Boss? And it was a good running show. Tony Danza and, and Judith Light and so forth had this show, and it was great. But the question is, who rules your life? You can either be ruled by the world, or you can be ruled by Christ. And you can't be ruled by both. So many Christians today, I believe, are trying to walk a very fine line between the world and Christ. You can't do it. So many say, well, there's nothing wrong with what I did or nothing wrong with what I said. That's not the question. The question should always be, is there anything right in what I do and what I say? Is there any glory for God in what I do or say? That should be the criteria that we go by in our life. The devil is in control of this world. He's in big time control. And he's ruling over people's lives who aren't saved. But as believers, we live in a different kingdom. We live under a different king, and the Lord Jesus Christ is our king. And he wants to have authority over every area of our lives. Our thought life, our actions, our words, everything should be submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we can have a powerful effect upon the world. If we don't, if we're trying to walk that fine line between the world, we can't be a blessing to anybody because we send out mixed signals. Is that person really a Christian or not? Is this person really walking with God or not? It should be clear and visible. People should tell the difference because we are a special people for the Lord. You know, if you look up in the dictionary under the word king, you find the, the definition as follows. A male ruler or a monarch of a nation state, usually called a kingdom, a male sovereign, limited or absolute monarch. And if Christ is the king of your life, then your life will be blessed. If he's not king and if he's not Lord over everything, it's not going to work. It will not work. The Lord Jesus said it very well. You cannot serve two masters. Either you'll love the one and hate the other, or you'll cling to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve Christ and this world. And yet so many Christians, they just go to church on Sunday, look good, speak good, everything is fine. But going out that door on Monday morning, you can't tell the difference between their life and the world. Their conduct, their speech, the jokes they listen to, things 
are not right. And so the Lord wants us to be convicted, to be convicted and to submit our whole life to his rule and say, Lord, what would you want me to do? What would you want me to watch on TV? What would you want me to listen to? What should I be doing on the internet? There was an interesting article that was put out recently by the Daily Bread folks that send out the Daily Bread on pornography. And how many men, and women too, but how many men are tremendously impacted by the computer? It used to be people used to have to go to back alleys and back streets in the darkness and go off and do all these things. Now they go on the computer and it can ruin a person's life. People can have secret life like that. The Lord, if he's boss of our life, we have to give him everything. I like that movie we saw we went to at the theater, how the man had this problem, and he took the computer out, and he dumped it out, and he took the baseball bat, and he broke it. And Jesus said the same thing. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. If, if your hand offends you, cut it off. Not literally, but anything that needs to be cut out of our lives that's not pleasing to Christ needs to be done. He needs to do surgery on us so that he can take the world out of us. It's like that expression, you can take the, the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. And sometimes you can take the Christian out of the world, but you can't take the world out of the Christian. That's the harder challenge that the Lord wants to do. So if you turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the 8th chapter of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Here in this passage of Scripture... Israel is asking for a king. And we're going to see what Samuel thought about it. We're going to see what God thought about it. And we're going to see the attitudes of the people and what they went through. So let's turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 8. And let's read together this chapter. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore heed their voice, however you shall solemnly warn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked for a king. And then let's skip down to verse 18. And you shall cry out in that day because of the king whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but we will have a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. 
And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, Heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to his city. Sad chapter. One of the saddest chapters in the scripture when, they, when you see the Israelites rejecting God as king over their lives and wanting a king like all the other nations. Today we're going to look at three things. They all begin with R. Request for a king. Secondly, rejection of God as king. And third, resistance to the counsel that Samuel had to give to them. Well, let's look at the first request for a king in verses 1 to 5. The chapter begins with the words, now it came to pass. One thing about Samuel you can be assured of, he was a godly man. He followed God. Remember when Hannah had Samuel, and she went there and first prayed for a son, and the Lord gave her a son, and she promised, Lord, if you give me a son, I'll bring him back, I'll dedicate him to you, he'll be in your service the rest of his life. And she did it, and she did it just the way she had promised, and Samuel grew up in the house of Levi in the temple, and he grew up to be a godly man. He's the only man in all of Scripture who is a prophet, a priest, and a judge, all three. He came in at the time when the judges were ruling, at the very end, and he carried forth to be a leader of God's people. And so he was faithful. Because remember, Moses was the first leader of Israel, and then Joshua followed him. But after that came a series of judges. And it says in Scripture that they all did what was right in their own eyes. It was a sad time. Brother Rajiv, when he spoke on Ruth, mentioned it also. But Samuel, when he came and ruled the people, he did it in a godly way. He had a communion with the Lord. He preached the word. He used to go on a circuit and judge the people and teach them the word of God all his days. One problem, he had two sons, and they were both bad. Both bad. His two sons, one was named Joel, and the other was Abijah, and they did not walk in his ways. Sad, because remember Eli, when he was raising up his sons, they too did not walk in the ways of God. They were immoral, they were sinful, they were wicked sons, and God took them away. And here, Samuel was a godly man and should have raised his sons well in the Lord, but we see them going astray, perverting justice, not walking with God, taking bribes and dishonest gain. It gave the Israelites the excuse to ask for a king. So many times the application for our lives is if we're not walking right with God and people don't see Christ in our life, we can give them an excuse for not being saved. Oh, why should I get saved? Because Dean is doing the same thing, and he's no different than us. He, he talks the same way, he acts the same way. It gives people an excuse not to receive Christ. We don't want to give that excuse. Samuel's sons became their excuse to ask for a king. Sometimes, though, as much as you raise your kids in a godly manner, they're still going to go astray. And so I know that there are parents out there who love their kids and are praying for them, and they're not saved, and they're not walking with Christ. But guess what? God is faithful, and he's going to bring those kids back, and he's going to save them. Because the scripture gives the promise. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And when you sow the word in your kid's life, 
all these devotions you guys have, the parents with the kids, it's not going to return void. It's not going to return empty. It's going to have an effect. It's going to be a blessing. But with Samuel's sons, they were, were not walking with God. And so it gave these people the excuse. Sometimes preachers' kids, missionaries' kids, can be living more like the world than the world is. And it's so sad, I've seen it. But we thank God that in our church we have godly young people. And I love how the Sunday school teachers are teaching these kids, the parents are teaching these kids, the kids are listening to the messages, and they're growing up to fear God. And that is the greatest blessing you can have. You kids out there, and there are some here, and then they're in Sunday school right now, I always tell them, you have a great privilege. I was telling Chantel and, and Gabe the other day in front of their kids, I said, you kids have such a great blessing here. You're growing up from your youngest years to fear the Lord, to learn the Bible from your youngest years. That's a privilege, and it is a great blessing. And Samuel spent a lot of time away from home. He was out on the circuit, and I'm sure he wished he had spent more time with his kids, invested more in them, because now they've gone into their own path. And so this gave Israel, as I said, the excuse. And it says in verse 4, it says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. This really surprises me. There wasn't one single elder, one single man of God in this day that stood up and said, Wait a minute, we don't need a king. God is our king. Why should we have a king like all the other nations? We are different. We're a separated people. Not one. Not even one stood up to challenge this decision. All the elders came, and they said, give us a king. It actually says in the scripture in, in the New King James, make us a king. Create a king for us so that we can have one like all the other nations. Sad. Very, very sad. They said to him in verse 5, look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. You know, it's a sad thing. Was Israel like all the other nations? No. They were circumcised. They had the law. They had the prophets. They had all the teaching of the word. They had all these things in their favor, and yet they wanted to look over and see that the grass may be greener on the other side. It's not, folks. If you think that the grass is greener on the other side and you can go out and live the way you want to live, you're going to find that that grass is going to turn brown very soon. And it's going to bring you down. It's going to bring you down because you can't hold on to the world and hold on to Christ at the same time. You can't do it. And they said, make us a king like all the other nations. They were God's people. In, Jer in Deuteronomy 7, 6, it said, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples of the earth. What happened to the Jewish people is they got proud. They said, okay, we're God's people. And they drifted from the Lord, and then they got into false gods and worshiping false gods, and it happened to them. Oh, we think we're Christians today. It's not going to happen to us. We don't worship idols. We don't have the same idols, but we have other idols. Anything, anything that comes before Christ is an idol could be a job, it could be a car, it could be a person in your life, could be a friend that's dragging you away from the meetings or away from the Lord. And the Lord says, you have to decide, Dean, who are you going to have as your king? Who's going to rule your life? 
Are you going to go by what your friends are doing and what the world is doing? Are you going to let them influence you? I like when our brother Rajiv was sharing on peer pressure because it doesn't just happen to teenagers. It happens to adults, too. We can feel that peer pressure. We can want to conform to this world. And yet the scripture says in Romans 12, 1, do not, in 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. If we choose to, to allow ourselves to be conformed to this world, we're going to be so miserable. We are. But if we're transformed by God's word, we're going to be encouraged. And that was the same true in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And there's a subject, it begins with S, that's not popular. And it's not sin, it's separation. Separation. It is so unpopular now, you don't hear very many preachers preaching on it anymore nowadays because they want you to come to church, feel good, go home happy, but go back to your lifestyle again. No, you can't. You can't come under the sound of the word of God and expect to be the same again. We shouldn't. We should obey the word. We should be convicted by the word, and we should be challenged to change. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? It doesn't work that way. I love this quote by Peter Marshall, who was a great man of God, and he worked in the Congress as a, a man of God giving the prayers and so forth. Many years ago, he said this, We are too Christian to enjoy sinning and too fond of sinning to enjoy Christianity. I said, wow, that's convicting, Martha. That is so convicting. Let me say it again, though. We are too Christian to enjoy sinning. So you can't really, if you're a Christian, you can't enjoy sinning. You're going to be convicted all the time. But we're too fond of sinning to really give it all up. We say, I'm, I'm holding on to this little thing. It doesn't work, folks. It doesn't work. He said, most of us know perfectly well what we ought to do. The problem is, or the trouble is, we don't want to do it. And isn't that the whole crux of the matter? When we have the choice to follow Christ as Lord, to have him as our king, as our boss, as in it says behind me here, Jesus is Lord, then if we do that, if we make that decision, it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle every day, no matter where we go, it should be the same. But if we decide in our hearts not to make him Lord over all, it's not going to work. The wagon wheels are going to fall off. We're not going to make it. May the Lord help us to not live like the world, not desire to be like the world, but to be like Christ. The scripture makes it very clear. And they wanted a king like all the other nations. They give us a king. We want to be like the other nations. So if you bring this down into our lives today, I want to be a Christian like the other Christians in the world. Oh, they go to church. They're good people. They're good upstanding people in the community. But they're not walking with Christ. Do we want to imitate that kind of a Christian life? No. We want to imitate, we want to follow the godly leaders and the godly lives that we have here. I thank God in our church we have Adel and Sylvia, we have Bill and we have Mike and we have many leaders and godly example. And these are the kind of examples we want to follow. But there's always people in every church 
who are carnal, who are worldly, who are seeking to get away with as much as they can without it showing. But the, guess who it shows to? It shows to the Lord. The Lord sees everything. And he says, Dean, you can't think that you're getting away with that. No. And so we should have the desire to have the Lord reign over us. But instead, they said, give us a king like all the other nations. It's amazing. Secondly, they rejected God as king. Notice in verse 6, it says, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. Samuel was a man of prayer, and this upset him very much. He got very angry. He got very upset. It was a righteous anger because he said, look, God is our king over Israel. He's, he's in charge. Why are we asking for an earthly king to lead us when God is over us? And so instead of taking matters into his own hands, thank the Lord, he went to the Lord in prayer about it. And we see in verse 7, it says, And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. What a sad state of affairs. And Samuel was probably confused. He says, why, Lord, are you going to give them their request? That's not good for them. But the Lord gave the answer right there in that verse. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me. You know, if you go to counsel to Adel and Sylvia and get counsel and you don't take heed to it, whose counsel are you rejecting, really? the Lord's counsel. If you read the word of God and you don't do it, you're rejecting the Lord's word. And so the Lord teaches us from his word to seek guidance from him, to seek wisdom from him, to say, Lord, take over every area of my life and make me a strong Christian. And that's what Samuel was doing here. He loved the people and he wanted the best for them. And he knew that this was not going to be good for them. But this is what was their choice. Every person in this audience today, every person in our world today has to make the choice. Whose king will you have? Who's going to be king over your life? Who's going to rule your life? Who's going to be in charge? And if it's anybody but the Lord Jesus Christ, I am so sorry to say it's not going to work. It's not going to fit. It's like trying to go into a shoe store and you wear a size 12 shoe to jam your foot into a size 8. Won't fit. It won't, no matter how hard you try to get your foot into that shoe. And, oh, it's comfortable as you're turning bright red and it, tears are coming down, your feet are killing you. It doesn't work. The Christian life doesn't work unless Christ is over every area of our life. And it's amazing because we see that the Lord, in effect, is saying to Samuel, Samuel, get over it. They didn't just cut you out of their life. They cut me out of their life. How sad when we cut the Lord out of our lives and we say, Lord, I'm going to do this today. I know you're not going to be particularly happy with it, but I want to do it anyway. This is so dangerous for us in the Christian life. It's so dangerous because if we choose that kind of life, it's going to be painful and it's going to be miserable. We cannot do it. We are basically saying to the Lord, Lord, I want to do it my way. And that never works. Remember in the story of the Minas, the parable that the Lord told. And it said there were some citizens there, and they said this to the, to the master. 
We will not have this man to reign over us. Wasn't that sad? The master was a good master. He had been good and gracious to all those servants. And they said, we will not have this man reign over us. And so many people today are saying the same thing. We will not have Jesus to rule over us. Oh, we'll go to church. We'll go to activities. We'll do this. We'll do that. But when it comes down to it and to the word of God, they don't want to do it. Okay, so if you've got the Bible like this, what pages are you going to start ripping out? I'm not going to rip out my Bible, but let's say you did it. I don't like what's written here. It's too convicting. Rip. Throw that one out. Oh, this pa passage here, this isn't good for me. Tells me I'm going to suffer and everything. Let's take that one out. And we'd start taking out pages of God's word. We can't do it. It's, he's got to be Lord of all. And he's got, we have to obey everything in the word of God if we're going to have success and we're going to be growing spiritually in our lives. May the Lord help us to have Christ in first place in our lives. And think about what Pilate said to the Jews. He said, shall I crucify your king? And their answer was, we have no king but Caesar. They had gotten so far away from the Lord that they say, we have no king but Caesar. And I think many Christians today are saying the same thing. We have no other king but Caesar. The world is our king. We're following the world's way. And it's so sad. So, so sad. Sometimes you don't even know a person at work is a Christian, and you find out later, oh, you are? You are? It should not be, but obvious that we're saved. We should be telling people, and we should be showing people by our lives that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone said, the more we're transformed by the power of Christ, the less we will be conformed to this world. Yes, Israel did not have a good track record. The Lord even says in verses 8 and 9, he says, All this time they've rejected me from the day that I took them out of Egypt, and they've forsaken me and served other gods, just as they're doing to you also. Very, very sad. But, but the Lord said to Samuel, Okay, Samuel, they've rejected me, they've requested a king, now I want you to go and tell them what their king is going to be like. You're going to tell them the consequences of it. Because sometimes if somebody is about to do something wrong and you warn them and you tell them the consequences, they might stop and not do it. Or they might do it anyway. But at least you've given them the consequences, the warning. And that's what Samuel does in verses 10 to 22. He tells them what God has told him would happen. And that's what he does here. It's like fast-forwarding into the future and giving them a little taste of what their king is going to be like. Notice in verse 11 what kind of king they're going to have. It says, he will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariot. This king that you're going to have is not going to be a giver. He's going to be a taker. Notice he's going to take from you. Verse 12, he's going to appoint some of them to plow his ground and reap his harvest. Some will be charged to make weapons of war and equipments for his chariot. Verse 13, he's going to take their daughters also. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. And he's going to take their fields also. Look in verse 14. He will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. And then it says in verse 15, he's going to take a tenth of your grain and your vintage, 
and give it to his officers and servants. Verse 16, he's going to take all your servants away. Who is going to work your field? He's going to take your male servants and your female servants, your finest young men, and your donkeys to do his work. And then finally, he's going to take a tenth of your sheep, in verse 17, and you will be his servant. Your king that you think that you want, this is how he's going to be. He's going to be a taker. He's going to take from you. And when you take the world and you think that you're going to get something, you're actually going to be losing. You're going to be losing the presence of God. You're going to be losing the peace of God. You're going to be losing the promises of God because you think by taking the world, it's going to make you happy. And in the end, it's going to make you sad and it's going to make you worse. I mean, just look at it. The first king that we see coming up that was chosen was who? Saul. Saul started off so good, but then he rejected the Lord, turned away from the Lord, turned to a witch of Endor to get counsel, and showed that he was not a believer. And every king after that, with a few exceptions of the good kings, like David, Solomon in the beginning, uh, Josiah, Hezekiah, there were a few good kings, but there were a lot of bad kings, and they led the people down the wrong path. Sad, very, very sad, because not only were they going to be losing spiritually by taking this king, but they're going to lose physically too. They're going to lose servants, they're going to lose land, they're going to lose all these things that they had, and they didn't care. They didn't care. Notice their answer in verse 19. The people... It says, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but we will have a king over us. That's got to be one of the saddest verses in the, in the Bible. Because Samuel told them, look, here's what it's going to be like. You can still change your mind. And they said, nevertheless, no, we still want a king. And I know that there's a lot of believers out there today that given confronted with the facts of the word of God and what it's going to be like in the world, still want the world. They still want the world. They want to feed on the empty husks of this world. Or as Jeremiah says, those broken cisterns which can hold no water. Can you imagine if you have a cistern and it holds no water and you put water into it, it all drains out. It's empty. And that's what the world gives you, emptiness misery, sadness. And if we choose that kind of life, the Lord says, I'll give it to you. You can have it, but I'm going to give you leanness in your soul, the scripture says. Leanness in your soul. And they were so blinded, so deafened by this, it fell on deaf ears. It reminds me of the story of the pig and the cow, uh, crow. The pig and the crow. One day a pig was was around the oak tree and he was gathering all kinds of acorns and then he started to root around the tree. And the crow remarked, you should not do this. If you lay bare the roots, the true tree will wither and die. The pig replied, who cares as long as there are acorns? Who cares? That pig does not recognize the fact that if he ruins that tree, where will he get the acorns from? The acorns come from the tree. And so too, if we lose the blessings of the Lord, we're going to be like that pig. Who cares as long as I have acorns? You can have the acorns of God, or you can have the acorns of this world. You can't have both. You can't have a double life. It doesn't work. It really doesn't. 
if we lose sight of the fact that God has blessed us and we think we've done it ourselves and we start drifting off the path, we're going to be in trouble. So may the Lord encourage us today to remember as we conclude the message, who's ruling your life? Who's in charge? Is Christ the Lord of your life, of every area of your life? Is he the king? Is he the boss? Or have you lost focus and started drifting off into the world? It's so subtle, too, because when you start drifting off the path, then pretty soon it's easier and easier to just drift off that path. May the Lord help us to, to be convicted and say, Lord, I want you to be boss and Lord of every area of my life. Take over the controls, Lord. Don't let me get into trouble. Don't let me go into the ways of this world. Don't let me think like the world. Don't let me act like the world. Don't let me be like the world. The Israelite says, no, make us a king like all the other nations. I want to be a Christian like this type of person. No, it doesn't work. If we decide to follow Jesus, it has to be all the way. It has to be all the way. We can't just say, I'm going to follow him part-time. No, full-time. Full-time, 24-7. The Lord Jesus Christ said this, but seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. God is an adder. He's a multiplier. The devil is the one who is a divider and a subtractor. And so if we think that we can find our happiness in the world by mingling with the world, by fellowshipping with the world, by rubbing shoulders with the world, we're going to be sadly mistaken. Because what happens is when you do that, the world rubs off on you. You know, if you go to a fence that's been recently painted and you bump up against it, the paint gets on your clothes, right? The world is like that. You get too close and rub shoulders with this world, it's going to come off on you. It's going to affect you. You say, well, I'm too strong for that. I'm a strong Christian. I can handle that. No, it doesn't. It doesn't happen that way. You can't dance with the world and dance with Christ at the same time. It does not work. So as we conclude in prayer this morning, if you're here today and you're saying, Dean, that's making sense to me. I've let the world influence my thinking. I've let the influence in my decision making. I've let the world influence me on the hobbies I've chosen or the friends I've chosen. We can make that decision today to renew our commitment to Christ, to be revived. And I really think that there needs to be a revival in the USA. And it needs to start here. And it needs to start here with me. And we need to, because if we don't, and we keep drifting closer to the world and closer to the world, we're going to be in hard, hard place. And it's like if you were in a sailboat that has no motor, and all you have is the sail, and there's no wind, you're just drifting, drifting closer and closer to the world. And may the Lord help us to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to be like that. I want to be like Christ. I want to follow the godly example. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, don't go home today without him. He wants to be your Lord and Savior. He wants you to accept him into your life and say, Lord, I've messed up my life. I've been ruling my life. I've been in charge. I've been the boss. And I've wrecked my life. I was driving by this morning, the last couple days, and where I live, there's this wrought iron fence with big uh, cement posts. I mean, it's so strong, I've never seen anything move it before. Well, somebody ran into that so fast 
it knocked that wrought iron fence that was so powerful right over and, and, and it took the brick, this huge brick, and knocked it over. We can force our way away from the Lord and we can force our way into the world, but we're going to crack. We're going to burn. It's not going to work. May the Lord help us to accept him as Lord and Savior and be all that he wants us to be. Shall we just close in prayer? Father, we thank you for this convicting message. It's convicting to me. Lord, help me not to be affected by this world, not to live like the world, talk like the world, or act like the world. Help me to be separated, Lord. Help all of us to live the Christian life and say no to the world and yes to you. Help us to decide to be separated, Lord, on a daily basis, to separate our kids and to separate ourselves. Help us not to justify sin in any form, Lord, and help us to be righteous and godly and holy, not because people are watching, but because you're watching, Lord. You're watching over us. And we pray that you will take control of every area. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.